Okay, so we're going to be looking at the uh, Gospel of John. I, as far as introductory uh, thoughts and remarks, I, I had some notes as to uh, the origins and the themes and things like that, but I just I didn't want to do a whole lot. I thought it would be beneficial for us to look at perhaps the rationale behind John writing this book. Uh, and whereas some uh, gospel writers start their book uh, with their reason why, uh, John, if you look in John chapter 20, I think there's a really good uh, thesis or purpose uh, statement as to why he wrote this gospel. John chapter 20, this is after the resurrection of Jesus. In verses 24 through 29, we see him appearing to uh, his disciples. And then there's the episode with doubting Thomas, uh, saying, unless I see his hands, uh, I will not believe and we can, uh, have him reappear once again. But in verses 30 and 31, I'd like for us to reflect on this, on these verses here. And I'd encourage you to come back to these verses as you go through each chapter, verses 30 and 31, and see how they apply to each story, each lesson, each miracle. Uh, John 20, 30 and 31. Truly Jesus did many other signs... In the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So try to keep that as the focus of John as you're going through uh, these lessons that he wrote these down so that we may believe, believe in Jesus. And each lesson, there will be different things that we believe in or that we learn about uh, Jesus. And the fact that by believing in him, we may have life, life in his name. And we'll see what that looks like. Uh, John is going to consistently be pointing to the death and resurrection of Jesus and urges that our faith is in that event. Faith in light of, of his death and his resurrection. Uh, there is some debate in when you look at uh, the, the wording of verses 30 and 31 as to whether his audience was... Uh, Believers, or if they were not yet Christians. Uh, I don't know if that makes a whole lot of difference because, in a sense, none of us fully comprehend and grasp the concept of Jesus, the, the, the fact that God came in the flesh and dwelt among us. But some of the big questions uh, that we are going to be looking at is who is Jesus? As he came to this earth, who is he? There are different words and descriptions of him. Words like Messiah or the Son of God or the Son of Man. Uh, 
what does it, what do those things mean? We'll be discussing those kinds of uh, concepts with each of his interactions, with each of his lessons. And as we're going to see, there are going to be some signs and miracles that take place, uh, not as many as some of the other Gospels, but John has a purpose behind those. And a question for us to consider is, can legitimate faith come based on seeing these signs? We're going to see the reactions that people had from seeing signs and uh, the, the lessons that come from that, whether they, they truly got the point or not. There are some other themes or uh, things perhaps to discuss, but I'll open it up if you guys have any other uh, thoughts or comments or questions before we even get into the text at large. Does anybody have anything that they wanted to bring up before we start in chapter 1? So let's go ahead and look at uh, John chapter 1. Our goal today is to get through the first 18 verses. Um, This is the prologue, the introduction of, of the text. And there are going to be some key thoughts. Uh, key ideas, uh, that are brought up. And perhaps my mini homework for you guys, or perhaps one way of studying the book of John is I'd encourage you to read verses 1 through 18. Before you read any other chapter in the book, read it before chapter two, read it again before chapter three, read it before the miracles, read it uh, before uh, his last night with his disciples, keep reading it and we'll see how the themes of verses one through 18 uh, will, uh, will be repeated over and over again. So let's go ahead, I'll read for us. Uh, John 1, verses 1 through 18, and then we'll break it up into sections uh, to, to discuss. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and nothing, and without Him, nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness to bear witness of the light, that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but he was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, 
the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This is he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him. Alright, so let's, let's break this down. A couple of questions I want us to perhaps reflect on as we go through each section of the book. Uh, is what stands out to you? Uh, does it remind you of anything? So let's try and take uh, some of those questions first. Let's look at, say, verses 1 through 5. Verses 1 through 5. Is there anything that stands out to you here as we see the beginning of the description uh, here? Or does it remind you of anything? Yes, Alan. The word was God. The word. It's an interesting uh, way of, of seeing this description. The word being in the beginning, um, being uh, with God. Mike? Well, I like what the Bible Project said that would compare the idea of Genesis 1 1, in the beginning. And here we have in the beginning, and we're talking about the same. Absolutely. Um, things that it might remind you of Genesis 1, we see that uh, in the creation story. Uh, we see uh, God, we see God with his word there at the beginning. Um, there are a couple of other places we may look at, places like Hebrews 1, 1 John 1. Uh, Colossians 1, seeing some of the, the different uh, times where we see Jesus, or we see this word from the very beginning. Uh, right, anything else? Yes, Bob. Uh, John the Baptist um, says that he was before him, but John the Baptist, of course, was born before Jesus. And so it kind of explains why that is. Yeah, that's that. We see an explanation. As to the order of their births, but yet uh, this word is preferred because he was not only before, he was from the beginning before. Just going that far back. We'll go Tony next. Uh, I just have a question of why he makes a distinction of that the word is an entity separate from God, but with God, and then also is God. Is he just alluding to like Trinity there, or is there some different thing? Okay, good question. The question being, what we see in verse one being with God and the Word was God. We we can see as we're going to look through the rest of the book that. That the Messiah is from God. He has an intimate relationship with God. He claims equality with God. 
And yet at the same time, he does nothing of his own will. He is subordinate to the Father. So we see different aspects um, with with that. To, to make that distinction seems very important to make. Uh, to do that is supposed, you know, supposed to say, ah, he's got, you know, that to make that distinction seems like he's trying to say something more to that. So. Yeah. Brad, did you have something you want to add? Um, yeah, I, I, the same thing stood out to me that this, this paradox that something was with God and also was God, um, you're going to see that a lot more in chapter 2. Um, he's going to say, woman, my hour has not come. He's going to tell that to his mother. And then he's going to turn around and turn water into wine. So um, there's a, going to be a lot of paradoxes because this is an unprecedented um, entity. Ideally, that's fully God and also fully man. And uh, so, yeah, I think that just points out the uniqueness which... Uh, uh, and keep bringing it up as we go through his interaction with Pharisees, with the rest of the Jews, just what is, what is Jesus saying whenever he says, uh, before Abraham was, I am, and, and I and the Father are one, and he abides me, and I am him, and all of these sayings, what does that mean? What does that look like? Chris? We might just... Note that we are making a presumption that this is talking about Jesus at this point in the book. I mean, for us, we automatically think that. Somebody that would be reading this for the first time, it's like, who are you, who are you talking about? So there's several things throughout the book that we're going to help identify that. But he's also talked about as the light. You know, he's never named. He said, oh, he's the word. He's the light. Uh, and it gives some details that you can make those conclusions from. But... For the sake of you know being right. completely transparent, it does not say that at this point. The the name Jesus the Christ doesn't appear until verse seventeen. I think that's a very uh, important point of that we do get this concept of who was in the beginning, what is God, who is God, um, and then we see as he comes in the flesh, uh, as Chris pointed out that. We get a name of Jesus uh, attributed to that, uh, to that end. Yes. Uh, just something else from these first eighteen verses that you you said the the main point of the book. You know, you went went to chapter twenty. Well, it's kind of like here. He's just this is his, his statement. This is his proof statement. We're not this is his statement. This is his argument about what this book is going to be about. Uh, there's no evidence in any of this, right? Until starts talking about John. And right. so he's just saying, this is who this is. And so all the rest of this is just to go prove 
that he is that. And that's where you get to chapter 20. And he goes, well, there it is. There's my argument being proven. And so you should come away from this believing. And so you have like the seven signs or, or Jesus' seven I am signs and things like that. That he, this is definitive proof that this is, this, these first five verses are yeah, we see really just this this claim of the word. Um, we the, we see the light, the, and these these ideas of word and light and life. We see this creation motif, as we've already uh, alluded to already. Um, it's important to know that this is the creator of everything. We see that uh, described. Yes, Mike. It's interesting too that we see in making what I'm going to do, but we see a distinction between the created and the eternal, between time and before time. And I, I think that because it says in the beginning was, it didn't say in the beginning the word was created. In the beginning was, and we see in Genesis, in the beginning God created. But what is the beginning? Well, the beginning was the beginning of time. Before that, there was no time, right? I mean, God is eternal. And so I think we see this distinction between the eternal and what we know as the mortal. Um, and this basically says that before the mortal was, there was the word. The word had always been. And so I think you're the devil. Very good. The, this contrast of, of temporal versus eternal that we only have experienced as we know, uh, in this temporal existence. And so John bringing out the big picture and, allow, and wanting us to see the big picture as we dive into this narrative. Important, I think, for us to look at perhaps verse 5. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Um, does anybody have any different translations on that? Other than, I'm reading from New King James. Yeah, did not overcome it. Okay. Any others that have a unique translation? I think that uh, that original word that's over overtake, overpower, comprehend. It's sort of a difficult word to define. There are a couple of interpretations, but I I like these words like uh, overpower, overtake, comprehend. It did not grasp it. Uh, in the sense that it didn't fully understand, and yet we see this contrast between light and darkness, and darkness tries to overpower the light. But when does darkness ever overpower the light? We, we don't see that. It's a, it's a conflict in which there's always one winner, that one winner always being the same every single time, that being the light. Uh, We, we've already started talking a little bit about uh, John the Baptizer in ver- and starting in verse 6. Brad, you one. Yeah, just real quick before you move on. Also, uh, that continues the darkness not being overcome, or I'm sorry, the darkness not overcoming the light, kind of gets back at the creation as well, because darkness is over the face of the earth, and then God said, let there be light, and light overcame the darkness. So the darkness... Didn't know the power of the light that God brought in um, when he created. So the, the Genesis uh, overtones or undertones are really strong. 
just just seeing that time and time again. Very good. What we're going to see, uh, as Tony sort of alluded to, we start we see verses one through five as a claim that John is making, and then he's going to provide all of this evidence. It's almost like a a trial scene where there, there's this claim and then we have all of these arguments, all of this evidence uh, that helps support that claim. And this first piece of evidence that we see in verse 6 is John the baptizer. He is called a witness um, He is, and a reliable witness at that because he, he is sent from, uh, sent from God. Um, what do you notice about what's said here of John? We see verses four through, uh, or excuse me, six through eight or thereabouts, and then verse fifteen again. We see uh, John the baptizer, different from the author John. Um, what stands out to you in in this section in relation to? Yeah, his purpose, his work. That's that. He was sent by God. Or not someone who would do their own initiative. Here's one who was prepared and sent by God. I appreciate that you, how you worded that. Sent by God, and he didn't have his own mission. He was not of his own initiative. And we're going to see in verses 19 and following that he makes that clear. That the people keep asking him questions, and he says, it's not my will, it's not my mission, I'm just doing what I'm told to do. And we're going to see Jesus having that same response, that he says, it's not about what I want to do, it's me uh, submitting to the will of the Father. What else? He was not the light. But he came to bear witness of the light. So that took any uh, God-like stuff from him. He was just a man. He was sent from God. He was in a long line of tradition of prophets that God had appointed, that God had sent. And there were 400 years of silence that... That line felt like as if it was cut, but he is in the same tradition as all the rest of the prophets, and yet he is not the light. It could have been very tempting for him, as being one sent from God, to say, I'm the light, come to me, focus on me, listen listen to uh, me and obey me, But but he is just coming to be a witness of this claim, the witness of this light, this life. Anything else? He was not that light, but that light, uh, but was sent to bear witness of that light. Uh, Verse nine, that was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. We are going to see phrases like true light, true vine, true bread, true uh, food in 
throughout this book. Uh, it's going to be important for us to, to see uh, this truth, this reality that is being put forth uh, for us. We see John's purpose in all of this. John the Baptist's purpose of bearing witness is so that people may believe. And that ties back to John 20, verses 30 and 31. Of John's purpose is the same as the purpose of this book. Uh, very good. This, this light that comes uh, into the world shines... Uh, it's light to every man. Everyone's going to be bearing witness or everybody's going to experience this light. But as we get through, as we get through this book, something that's going to be important for us to see is not everybody's going to respond to the light in the same way. Some people are going to hate the light. Some people are going to run away from the light and reject it. And other people are going to come uh, come to this light. Uh, and I think that ties in with verses 10 through uh, 10 through 13. Anything stand out to you in this in this section? Being in the world, the world did not know him. Uh, the world, uh, his own, did not receive him. Then it talked about others who did receive him what what stands out to you in in this section Important for us to uh, to see what what does knowing look like? Perhaps a question for us to is it just an acknowledgement of fact? Because we will see some people who will acknowledge who this is, and yet they will not act accordingly to what they claim to know. Anything else? Alan did not. Verse 12, those who believe have the right to become children of God. They have a right to become children of God. It's not an obligation. Um, it's undeserved. It's, it's a privilege. Um, my... Anything else? Uh, couldn't help but think of uh, Isaiah 53, verse 3. says, He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrow and acquainted with grief. Verse 11, He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. So I see this as this picture of what a man of sorrow was. He came to his own, and his own did not even receive him. Now, the, the man of sorrow's uh, depiction not being received being rejected. Uh, 
So the, the ideas of whether it's the created universe or if it's uh, for God so loved the world, as we see in chapter 3. Uh, just the different, uh, uh, the different interpretations. That there are ways in which both can be true. Um, there are ways in which both can be applicable, I think, uh, to that his interaction with the world nature we will see his interactions with the world humanity and there will be ways in which uh, that those are both alluded to and, and then
Okay, referring to the Psalms as all creation uh, shouts praise and glory to the Creator, um, and that, and just going back to your thought of uh, the creation is always subordinate and recognizes uh, that. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, I'm not sure. I heard all of what Ann said, but <clears throat> the idea of the fact the statement is made the world did not know him then whatever this is has the capacity to know him but it did not so I'm, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna say because the next sentence says he came to his own they they did not receive him <clears throat> I believe the text is pointing straight at us yeah straight at mankind it is God who has made in his image if anybody should know what who he is, it should be us, but there's a rejection that's being talked about here uh, that is evident, you know, and that's what it's coming to, to rectify, and that's what John is preparing to do. Very good. That's right. One thing I do want us to get uh, to um, perhaps highlight or ask ourselves before we get into the rest of the text is uh, the key word in verses 11 and 12. What I have down in my notes is one of the big questions of the book. 
What does it look like to receive? What does it look like to receive Jesus, to receive this word in chapter 2? With Nicodemus in chapter 3, with the woman at the well in chapter 4, with the feeding of the 5,000 in chapter 6. What does receiving Jesus look like? So, so keep that in mind as we as we get into this. Yes. Also, along all this discussion is great about whether you know, take into mind whether or not this idea that the world did not know him. If you look over thirty one, it sounds like John didn't recognize him either. Right. The fulfillment of God's plan, uh, even though it's prophesied of the fact that it happened. And God brought it about is an amazing thing. And the world was not prepared for it in any way, shape, or form. John had a small part in opening the door, if you will, for Christ to be known. But he himself made that statement. I did not recognize him. Again, I think what's interesting about Jesus' response to John when he's in prison, and he sends disciples to him, and he says, Are you the one, or are we seeking another? John is just proclaiming that he knows that one is coming. He, he, he believes that it's Jesus, but he's not sure. But what's Jesus' proof is that, well, the blind see, the lame walk, you know, the, the dead speak, the, the dead are raised. And so this is, continues to be proof for Jesus. Like in John chapter 10, he'll say the same types of things. If you don't believe me, believe the works. Believe the things that are occurring. Your eye, surely your eyes aren't deceiving you. people are clearly doing it. Okay. We see more of this motif uh, described in other ways. Uh, in verse 14, the word became flesh. Just looking at the contrast of verses 1 and 2, the word was in the beginning, it existed before time, before matter. And yet here, in verse 14, it became flesh. Um, and it dwelt among us, among humanity. Um, and, we, and we beheld his glory. We were, we were witnesses uh, to, uh, to the glory of God through this uh, word becoming flesh. Um, Interesting uh, choice of words in that it dwelt among us. That word dwelt is tabernacle. You may have uh, come across that in your study that uh, just an allusion to the glory of God filling the tabernacle at the end of the book of Exodus. The same thing's happening in the man, the word here in the beginning of chapter one, that this glory of God, this glory and truth are filling flesh, filling this perfect humanity. Um, is there anything else that stands out to you in verses uh, 14 through through 18? We've already talked a little bit about 15. Uh, Yes. I feel like there's a lot of things that unpack, especially with the, the the word becoming flesh and what the significance of of him becoming flesh. That, you know, he's a creator. Why, why why would he even need to do that? 
And that's an argument that he'll make later, I believe. But then, that he dwelt among us and we dwelt, beheld his glory. Uh, this is the very same statement that Peter makes in Second Peter of why Peter believes, and that's what he's been expressing, is that they beheld his glory and when he was on the mountain. So that transfiguration, there's, there's some debate over whether or not Lazarus may be this John who wrote this book. But this is another thing that only Peter, James, and John witnessed, uh, whether it could be also his ascension after his resurrection. But this is the very thing that Peter points to also, that we saw him glorify. Maybe not all he did, but we did, and we saw that thing, and then it's impressed upon them that Peter makes that statement that he believes that he's the Christ, but then it's profoundly uh, uh, testified by God by doing that for them also. And just, just being a witness to this glory, this glorification uh, in human form is just something for us to really unpack and, and see and look for as we go through the book. for us to, to take note of. Very good. Um, and, and, the, and perhaps the culmination of that, the culmination of seeing God in the human form is the cross. When we look at the cross, we see, we see Everything answered with the problem of sin, with the issue of suffering, with everything that we need to know about Jehovah, everything we need to know about Yahweh, God the Father, that's answered in the cross. And I think that's what we're going to be pointing to as we go through, go through the book. Other thoughts? Yeah, very good. 
um, interesting uh, di- different texts read it uh, differently. Verse 18, the only begotten Son. Uh, other texts uh, read, read the only begotten God. And that ties back into verse 1, that He is from the beginning. He is God. And yet He is, he is separate uh, from God. In the bosom of the Father, just that intimate relationship coming from God uh, and and being God, yet not being superior, acting of his own will and accord. Also, I have another question. Just, I'm not sure the grass is trying to give you a, a full grace and truth and then uh, that we have received grace for grace and then also the uh, the law is given to Moses the grace of truth through Jesus. Uh, do you understand what he's trying to say by those statements? No. <laughs> <laughs> um, I I have some thoughts on that. But like, what do you think of when you think of grace? <clears throat> forgiveness, mercy, maybe something like that. Mercy, forgiveness. Was grace existent in the law? Yes. Yes. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. Just, just uh, the forgiveness that was offered. Uh, God, God desired to forgive and redeem His people. Um. He wanted to save them. He wanted to make something great out of them. And we, by nature, God created all things, including humanity, to be good. And yet when we we have ruined ourselves, we have uh, gone our own ways and destroyed our, and sealed our fate, the only thing... That can recreate us as the original creator. Jesus as creator is the only one who could save us. And he does that through his grace. So as we look through this text, we're going to see that the grace and the truth that Jesus offers is superior and goes beyond what... uh, what we originally see in in the old law. Not that it didn't do that, but in Jesus it's more it's it's fuller, it's truer. Yes. God that way can be seen by the the sacrifice the sacrificial system. Um, the way that you receive grace or maybe I'm I'm uh, maybe switch here, but I think the grace is forgiveness. And the way you receive forgiveness under the old laws, you brought a lamb that was yours to be slaughtered, and that that uh, figuratively um, took your sins away. And uh, if you think about the writer of Hebrews saying, "Well, that yeah, that never didn't really take the blood of and Ghost really didn't take away sin, but um, it did in the Old Testament because that's that's the way God set it up." But if you think about in the new law, 
who's bringing the land? We don't have to somehow have a land and bring it and, and atone for our sins the way that, that God has set up. God himself provided the land, hearkening all the way back to Abraham and going to offer his son and God providing the land. Um, so in that sense, um, Moses brought the law and you, you have forgiveness under the law, but now you have grace. God provided the land. So maybe in, in a sense, in that sense at least, I can see how the Christ being behold the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world, that's provided by God. That is true, that is even fuller and truer grace than we saw under the law of Moses. But um, that's just kind of my, my uh, reasoning through that. Very good. Yeah, the, the uh, sacrificial system really tie, uh, shows us that grace was available, but whenever we see the Lamb of God uh, in human form, we're going to see grace and truth personified. Thank you guys very much for, for your attentiveness. Um, what I invite you to do is, again, read verses 1 through 18 as you, before each and every other section. So we're going to try and get the rest of the chapter in our next class, verses 19 through 51. So please read 1 through 18 again, and then we're going to be ready to discuss 19 through 51 in our next class. Thank you all for your participation.